We serve a great and mighty God. And uh, this morning, I just I want to lead us in prayer, but I, I would like for you to pray with me while I pray. Um, you know, our nation is in a dire straits. We've got a lot of things we need to pray about. We, uh, we need to pray about our homes. We need to pray about our family. We need to pray about our church. We need to pray about our schools. You know, there's a lot that we need to lift to the Lord in prayer. So pray with me as, as we pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us today. Father, just to be in your house. Father, to worship you. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us that we might know the forgiveness of our sin. Father, we thank you for the healing that takes place in the name of Jesus. Father, we are witnesses to that great healing in each of our lives. And Father, it's our joy to worship you. Father, I ask that even now, Father, that you would be with our nation. Father, with the, the disasters that have happened, with the, the things that are going on in our, our government and in politics, and, and Father, the things that, that, that concern us each and every day. We pray, Father, for a great awakening in our nation. Father, a great turning to you. I pray, Father, for a revival among the church of Jesus Christ. Those who follow him, those who call themselves his disciples. Father, I pray for an outpouring of your spirit like we've not seen in our generation. But Father, that you would do that by your power and for your glory. Father, I lift up our families to you. Father, it seems that the enemy wants to rip them apart. It seems the enemy wants to keep them busy, Father, and not uh, worshiping you, Father, and not giving you the praise that is, that is due your name. I pray, Father, that you would call our families back to you. I pray, Father, that you would do that for your glory. Lord, we lift up our church and we thank you for all that you do in us and through us and for us. Father, we praise your name that you send us out to be your witnesses in this world. I pray, Father, that as we do that, Father, that your, your spirit would go before us and that you would prepare the hearts of the people. Father, that they would receive the message that we have from you. Father, concerning our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be with the brokenness in this room. Father, I pray that you would be with those that are in need of a, a, a touch from you, a healing touch. Father, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, Father. Lord, we ask that as we look into your word, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it in our hearts. Father, how can we know your word apart from your Holy Spirit? So speak to us, guide us into all truth. Father, I pray that you would show us exactly what you desire us to see and to know. And Father, that you would bring about a great repentance among your people. Father, thank you so much for your great love. Father, guide us as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
know this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible and want to turn over to Matthew chapter 6. You know, in collegians and uh, professional football officials, they have uh, sometimes uh, passed rules to penalize um, players when they over-celebrate at the end of a, a score or, or some kind of victory or, or a spectacular play. And really this was done to eliminate the, the humiliation of, of, of other players or teams by, by drawing excessive attention to oneself. You know, one coach reminded his players against these excessive celebrations with this statement. He said, act like you've been there before. Act like you've been there before. That it's not such a big deal that you've got to throw this single person celebration. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the, the junk that's going on right now uh, with the National Football League and all that. But I will say this. My uncle was a prisoner of war in Nazi Germany. His plane was shot down. And I am thankful for those that have given their lives for our country. Amen. And for the freedoms that we enjoy today. And I will always stand. And I will always cover my heart. Because I believe in that freedom. And I believe in those that gave their lives for that freedom. And those that protect our freedom today. But you know, this, this coach that I was talking about, getting back to my point, he was making the point that mature players, those who are mature, know how to give credit to others rather than trying to take it all for themselves. But you see, many believers fall into the temptation to do their religious actions be noticed by them. That's how Jesus phrased it. To be noticed by them. When Jesus used that phrase to be noticed, he used a Greek word, theathenai, uh, which really is the word that we get our word theatrical from. And basically he was saying that genuine disciples of Christ are not approved by God for being theatrical in their faith. Not putting on a big show for others, but rather by being genuine and being humble, seeking God's way rather than applause and approval. If you remember from our recent studies on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began his sermon by describing the character of his kingdom. He says, what's the kingdom like? Well, it's, it's a kingdom that welcomes spiritually bankrupt people. Those who are deeply disappointed with life and those who um, can't do it on their own. He invites them into his kingdom. It's a kingdom of justice and of mercy at the same time. It's for those who belong uh, to this kingdom are, are ambassadors for peace. Even though they are persecuted in this life. It's those that let people know and see the good in their lives so that others will also come to know God in a very personal way. And next, Jesus explains the code of his kingdom. He says this, he said it wasn't enough just to conform to the external uh, behavior, the, the rules, if you will. He also wants to change us on the inside. Yeah. That's big stuff. That's big news. 
He wants us to resolve our anger. He wants us to restrain from any sexual desires that are out of bounds. He wants us to, to refuse to, to divorce just because we're tired of being married. Or to be, he wants us to be truthful on the inside and out. To forgive those who wrong us and to finally to love those who aren't even on our side. I mean, that's just a, a brief summary of, of, of the beginning in, in, in chapter 5. Today we come to chapter 6 and, and this next series, if you will, in the discipleship handbook as Jesus begins to discuss our motives for worship. I like to call it kingdom worship, but I don't mean that we're worshiping the, the kingdom. What I mean is how we worship in the kingdom. Okay? I mean, people perform actions of worship for many reasons, but those who belong to the kingdom need to watch their motives. I mean, the things that we do, it's not just an issue of what you do in worship of Almighty God, but rather why you do what you do when you're worshiping. It's crucial that we understand that. And Matthew introduces this new subject in Matthew 6. Excuse me, Jesus introduces it in Matthew 6. And he, he states a general teaching, a, a, a larger teaching that is illustrated by, by three uh, practices, three religious practices. And I want to read in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 18. And if you will follow along. I know it's kind of a lengthy passage, but we'll move through it. Verse 1 in chapter 6 in Matthew says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to, to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others... 
then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, if your motive for going to church or for doing some good deed or helping the poor or praying to God or performing some other religious activity, if you're doing those things to impress the people around you, then it doesn't mean anything to God. That's what he's saying. They've received their reward in full. It doesn't mean anything to God. While disciples are encouraged to do good works before other people, so God will be praised. Let your light shine before men so they will see your good works and, and glorify God, the Father. That's what he's saying. He's saying we are encouraged to do good works before other people, but they're discouraged from doing good works so that they will be praised. So that we get the honor. That's not why we do it. We do it for him. So that his name would be praised, not ours. See, no one knows us better than our precious Savior. Nobody knows us like Jesus. He knows us from the inside out. He knows not only what we do, but why we do. That's kind of scary to me. Because he knows why we do it. He knows exactly why we do it. And it's easier for us to understand the general principle when you have a good example. I'm thankful that Jesus gives us this example. He first points out this first religious practice or this act of righteousness, if you will. And it was giving to the needy. Giving. Giving to those who are in need. Um, it was one of the three foundational uh, principles in religious acts, if you will, of a faithful Jew. I mean, giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting. Those three things. We're, we're foundational if you are going to be a good Jew. And so Jesus is addressing those things because they are so foundational. Giving to the needy, praying, fasting. Each one of these actions, Jesus was concerned with the motive for that action. You know, T.S. Eliot, he wrote this. He said, the last temptation is the greatest treason. To do the right deed for the wrong reason. See, Jesus taught that giving to the needy was not to be done so that others could honor you. And he even makes the statement, you know, um, don't announce it with trumpets. In other words, don't blow your own horn. That's what he's saying. When you give something to someone, especially someone who is in need, you don't have to announce it. You don't have to make a big production of it. See, Jesus said that some hypocrites... They would put their money in the, in the boxes in the, in the, the, the court of women in, in such a, a hard way that it would make a loud noise and it would sound like a trumpet going off. And everybody in that area would be startled and they would look to see who gave that offering. That's what he's saying that, that we shouldn't do. When we give, 
with the purpose of getting attention and praise of others, Jesus says they have their reward in full. Don't expect anything else from God concerning that. As one commentator describes it, he says the ego is bloated and the soul shrivels. See, when we are not, we are not to give with the motive of getting a reward, but the reward comes when we give with the right motive. I mean, to give, to be seen. To pray to be seen. To fast to be seen. These are the things that Jesus is addressing. And he calls these kinds of givers, those who give to get praise from others, he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. Did you know that in the New Testament, Jesus is the only one who uses the word hypocrites? He uses it three times in this passage. Those who give to be seen, those who pray to be seen, and those who fast to be seen. They're all hypocrites. That's what he calls them. This word is a compound word in the Greek. And it's a word for actors, and it literally meant behind the mask. You know, in classical Greek theater, they would hold a mask, and they would be that person that is represented by that mask, and they would say their lines behind the mask. And so everybody thought that they were that person in that moment. The word came uh, later to mean one who practices deceit or who impersonates another. And Jesus used this word to illustrate what God wanted. That the face of a person that he presents to the world be the same as the face of the person that he presents to God. That it would be the same. That we wouldn't have a mask that we wear when we're in church. That we wouldn't have something that we do in front of other people that we don't do in front of God. Jesus added, he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Which emphasizes the natural flow of goodness that proceeds from our relationship with God. I love this. I mean, giving, giving is such a natural part of our relationship with God, of, of a disciple's character, that we don't have to think about what the right or the left hand is doing. We just do it. And we do it out of love. It's a kind of giving that is, that is praised at the last judgment. We read in Matthew 25, where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. And he says, this is the type of giving that is praised when we don't even know who it is we're giving to. This kind of giving gets God's attention and his reward. And the disciples' motive for giving should be an overflowing heart with love for God. It's because of our love that we do these things. It's because of our love that we want to give. Because God is a giver. He, in that we are like him when we give. I love how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 3, he says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It's out of that love that we want to give. 
See, when we give from a heart of love, and folks, this is an important principle. When we give from a heart of love, our giving is blessed and multiplied by God. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, he multiplies it, he uses it. When our giving is given from a heart of love. See, this kind of giving is rewarded by God as God extends our spiritual influence and strengthens our faith. That's the kind of giving we need to have. What is the motive behind our giving? What's the motive behind my giving and your giving? I was reading a couple of weeks ago and I found it to be hilarious and I hope you do too. Chip Bell, he, he said, can you imagine if we had announcers for our Sunday morning offering? If we had announcers for our Sunday morning offering, you know, a, a hush falls over the crowd as the offering plate approaches. Bob, you can sense the tension in this crowd as they await the outcome. No one knows for sure what he's going to do. Wait a minute, Bob. He's reaching for his checkbook. Whoa, it looks like he's already written the check ahead of time. Boy, now that's some strategy. And here it is. It looks like, yes, it is. It's $200. What an upset. What nobody would have thought that this would come from such a Cinderella player. I wish I could, you could be here to hear the reaction in this crowd. At first, there was stunned silence. No one could even believe it. And then there was a collective, oh, with whispers. And then as people realized just what this man had done, the crowd began to roar, right? They're, they're on their feet. It's going wild in here. The ushers are screaming. It's a madhouse, Bob. It's unbelievable. I mean, fortunately for us, fortunately for us, we don't have announcers for our Sunday morning offering. And I hope you'll forgive the silliness. But I wanted to make the point. It's not just what we do to worship God that's important. It's why we do it. You know, Jesus addresses, moving on, he addresses praying to the gallery. I mean, as Jesus began teaching on genuine prayer, he noticed that the hypocrite loves to stand in the synagogue or on the street corner praying to be seen by men. And it's obvious that this kind of public prayer was one of the most abused types of prayer. I mean, think about this. When we're put on the spot in front of other people, we're tempted to do just this. When we're not expecting to lead in prayer and somebody calls us to lead in prayer, all of a sudden we become the most holy, pious person that anyone has ever met. Rather than being real with God, we want to put on a show and we want it to sound good in front of other people. The audience often becomes those around us instead of God. You know, Bob Diffenbaugh, he says that Jesus develops two basic kinds of prayer here. The first one is a showcase prayer where people pray, actually, the, the person praying actually draws attention to himself. And he wants to be known as spiritual 
and holy. I mean, his religion gives him status, and by public prayer, he maintains it, and he feeds it. The second kind of prayer is relational prayer. This prayer seeks time with the Father. Jesus, for teaching purposes, he draws a distinct line between the two. But we actually realize that somewhere we're going to fall in between these two extremes. Sometimes we may be a little bit more towards the showcase side, and other times we may be a little more towards the relational. But the reality is, we're all both of them sometimes. The division runs right down the middle. See, Jesus told his disciples that when they prayed, they should go into their closet. When Jesus was saying, go into your closet to pray, he was emphasizing the need to be with God or to be alone with God. So that the prayer could be genuine. Basically eliminating the distractions of wanting to be heard by someone else. See, just like a person can be alone in a crowd, we can still be with God in a crowd. Amen. See, at times, Jesus also went away to pray. In Matthew 4, he went into the wilderness to pray. Prior to his, the beginning of his public ministry. Matthew 26 records that Jesus went away from his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus set the example of going into his closet to pray. His closet may have been outdoors, but he got away from everybody so that he could be alone with God. And that's a very important principle. We need to spend time with the Master. We need to spend time with Him. Because this kind of prayer is not a prayer to impress other people. This kind of prayer is a prayer to express our heart to God. And there's a huge difference. See, the religion of the Pharisees, they required a certain number of daily prayers. And Jesus condemned the practice of trying to overwhelm God and impress people by our many words. How does he put it? Meaningless repetition or many words. Prayer's not judged by quantity. It's judged by quality. What do you say when you're talking to God? See, we don't need to overpower God with, by informing Him in our long-winded prayers and terms about our needs. Verse 8 tells us that the Father knows what we need before we even ask Him. He knows our heart. He reads our heart. See, God is love and it's, He's more ready to answer than we are to pray. He's waiting for us to come to Him and ask. The problem is we don't come to Him and we don't ask. But He's ready. He's willing. Prayer is not getting things from God, but it's communicating with God. It's communing with Him. And see, that's what Jesus was against, was somebody coming to be heard by other people so that other people would say, my, how holy that person is. That's not the point of prayer. The point of prayer is to share your heart with God. To allow Him to speak to you and you to speak to Him. See, Jesus concluded His teaching on prayer with an example of authentic prayer. And it's sometimes called the model prayer. In verses 9 through 13. But notice that Jesus said this in verse 9. 
He said, pray then in this way. Pray then in this way. Notice he didn't say, pray this. He said, pray then in this way. And the way that he's talking about is, is he, he's, not, he's telling us how to pray, not what to pray. And each one of the petitions in the model prayer reflect an emphasis on the relationship of the disciple to the Father. I mean, it's not a theatrical show-off activity. It sounds more like a child talking to their father. He says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I mean, he, he's talking all of this about relationship here. He talks about your kingdom come. Your will be done. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Give us our daily bread. You see, it's all about that relationship. And that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And what he's teaching us is it's about the relationship that we have with the Father when we're in prayer. Talk about the motives. Because most of the time we come to get. We have our list of needs and we go down to leave the needs of what we want God to do for us. And we're asking in very specific ways. Or maybe we're asking in very general ways. Lord, be with all the people that need healing. How would you know if that prayer has been answered? There's no way you would. It's going to come out of a relationship with God. Our relationship with Him and sharing our heart with Him. See, prayer is genuine and heartfelt. Conversation with a loving God, our Father. So Jesus talks about giving. He talks about praying. And finally, He talks about fasting. Fasting for attention. You know, fasting... Abstaining from food or water should be done to focus our energies on God and God's will. But understand, there was a purpose for fasting. There was a purpose for fasting. And the practice of fasting was done for a particular purpose. A specific purpose in mind. And if done in a way that pleased the Lord, the people would not just fast to be fasting. It was done in order to focus on spiritual things with God. It allowed them to get beyond the desires of the flesh. You know, most of us, we're not tuned into fasting a whole lot. I can assure you that fasting is not popular in the Baptist church. <laughs> because we begin to watch the time about 11.45 Because what we're thinking about is going home and having lunch. Or today, going into the fellowship hall and having lunch. And we start looking at our clock and we say, wrap it up, preacher. I got some place to be. And the sad truth is, we're more concerned about getting home for lunch than we are about receiving what we need from the Lord. Right. 
practically. We give an invitation, a time to respond to what God is doing in your life. A time to say yes to the Lord. A time to reach out, to call out to Him, to say, Father, I need a touch from You. I need You in this situation. I need You as I need air to breathe. God, if You don't show up in this situation, then we're done. We're, we're toast. But we're more concerned about going home and having a bite of that roast or whatever it is we're going to eat than we are about receiving what we need from the Lord right here, right now. Amen. See, we don't have to fast in order to serve the Lord. But I'm pretty sure that most of us are unwilling to give up very much in order to seek the Lord. Right. We're affluent. We're comfortable. We have plenty to eat. We have a roof over our heads. We have everything that we need. Why would we seek the Lord? See, fasting was a religious custom of the Jews in the first century. And Jesus took it for granted. He didn't say, if you decide to fast. He said, when you fast. When you fast. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. I mean, his own ministry was preceded by a 40-day fast. We can learn from his example. He focused God's, his, himself, his mind, his energies on God's plan for his ministry. And he taught his disciples that fasting is often the best way to concentrate God's power on a difficult spiritual task. When was the last time? When was the last time you fasted? So that you could have a spiritual breakthrough. So that you could see something spiritual happen in a difficult situation. You know, some of the early manuscripts of Mark's accounts of Jesus healing a boy that was inhabited by a violent spirit. And Jesus said this. He said, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. I mean, fasting was practiced by the early Christians for various reasons. In Acts 9, following Paul's miraculous healing and conversion on the road to Damascus. <laughs> it says that he fasted. In Acts 13, before the leaders... In the first church set apart, Paul and Barnabas, they fasted. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, as they set aside elders for the, the, the early church, they fasted. See, Jesus didn't condemn fasting. He simply said a person should not try to draw attention to themselves when they're fasting. He remarked that how the hypocrites, they used to disfigure their faces to, to show men that they are fasting. Those standing would see them with ashes spread all over their faces. And they would remark something like, well, there goes a godly man. He's fasting. There goes a godly person. Look at them. They've got ashes on their face. They must be fasting. See, Jesus said that their reward would be the attention that they got from others. It's what they wanted. 
It's what they wanted. They wanted attention from others. And it's exactly what they got. But listen, drawing attention to yourself is drawing attention away from God. When we say, look at me and look how pious I am. Look how much I give. Look how I pray. Look how I fast. Then what we're doing is we're drawing attention away from God and onto us. And that's why Jesus says it's important what the motive is behind your worship. Jesus condemned this type of fasting that resulted in spiritual pride and hypocrisy. See, a lowly spirit did not need to be reflected with a long face. I mean, Jesus acts like if you're fasting, you ought to wash your face and anoint your head. Act like you're going to a party. Let people know the joy that you have. Amen. Don't be all long in the face and, and upset and gloomy about it so that they'll say, oh man, he sure is a, a holy man. See, there's a difference between shining your light before other people and shining your light in other people's eyes. One's just plain annoying, and the other gives glory to God. See, a disciple should give and pray and fast for the glory of God rather than seeking the praise of other people. And it is the pleasure of God that we are seeking. It is His pleasure, not ours, that we seek and worship. See, God sees and rewards every spiritual activity done according to His will. And this is what Jesus was saying. Show your faith like this, not like that. Show your faith like this. If you're going to show it, then show it to Almighty God. Not so you can be seen by other people. So whether we're praying or fasting or singing or preaching or witnessing or serving others, we must do it all with a heart of passion for the Lord. Whatever it is that we are doing, we are to do it as unto the Lord. Amen. Folks, that means with our whole heart. That means with all of our love. That means with everything that we can do and should do. We should do it as unto God. I desire a closer walk with the Lord than I have today. But I understand each one of us may be in that same boat. I know that I will never achieve that if I'm unwilling, if I'm unwilling to pay the price to seek the Lord. And nothing will change in your life if you're unwilling to pay the price to seek the Lord. I mean, think about this. If we have given, if we have prayed, and if we have fasted with the wrong motive, then we ought to ask for forgiveness. We ought to repent of that. I mean, we need to repent of cheapening the love and sacrifice of our Savior. We need to come to the altar broken 
before Almighty God, seeking His forgiveness for the sin in our lives. Because we do that, and we don't even think twice about it. And Jesus is, is, is calling it out here. He said, it, it doesn't matter so much what you do as how you do it. You're doing it wrong with the wrong motive in your heart. I don't know about you, but that's very convicting. Because many times we can do church. But are we worshiping? Is it true worship? Did you come to church this morning? Or did you come to worship the Savior, the Master of all? In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And this invitation is for you. If God is speaking something to your heart, if, he's, if His Word, His, His Holy Spirit is, is puncturing through your heart, it's because He loves you that much. He wants you to be made whole. He wants you, all of you, in service to Him. Not just the part you want to give you, but all of it. In a moment, Kyle and Macy and Tanner are going to come back up and they're going to, they're going to lead us in song. And as they sing and as they lead us, this is your opportunity to respond. And I don't know how God is leading you in that. But my invitation is simply this. You come and lay your heart before the Lord. Because I guarantee you, if you will do that, if you will lay your heart before the Lord, God will bring revival to this place. We are the ones keeping it the revival doesn't happen among lost people. The revival happens among God's people. In my walk with the Holy Spirit, the longer I walk with Him, the more He challenges the minutiae of my life. The small things that shouldn't be. 